0: We're going to turn and read the Bible now, starting in the book of Proverbs. Yes, Proverbs 30, verses 5 to 9, and that's on page uh, 470 of the Pew Bibles. So Proverbs chapter 30, starting at verse 5. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I might have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become too poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God.
1: And the New Testament reading is Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 to 18 and you can find that on page 684 of your Bibles. So Matthew chapter 6. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you.
0: Thanks, Rob and Viv. Nice to see you. We're continuing our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Let me pray for us as we kick off. Father, it's been a beautiful day, and we thank you for... The sunshine, we thank you for a chance to spend time relaxing and being refreshed. And we thank you now for this this precious time where we can just stop and to hear you speak through your scriptures and by your spirit. Father, I pray that we would cherish this time, that we would long to hear you speak to us. You know what we need to hear. Uh, So, Father, I ask that uh, you would soften hearts and give us ears to hear tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to picture this scene. It's a um, Sunday night here at Church by the Bridge. Uh, the music's been awesome. The sermon's been preached, and let's call him Jonti. There's no one called Jonti. Uh, Jaunty stands up, and Jaunty's going to pray. And so Jonti stands here at the lectern, and he prays. And you're sitting there, and you're thinking, oh, wow, what a prayer. Yeah, he's so eloquent. Uh, he prays for the parliaments. He prays for the poor. He prays for our church. He prays for the community. He prays for our mission partners. He just prays and he prays and he's passionate. And he's a great prayer. And then John T. sits down and he kind of glows a bit inwardly and thinks, oh, how was I tonight? I wonder if someone will come and say, thank you for praying. Great Great prayers. Awesome prayers. Or maybe it's open prayer time and, you know, that sort of awkward silence where you're waiting for somebody to pray in open prayer time. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, I, I should pray. But then something goes inside you, oh, what if I pray and, and I, I say the wrong thing? And it's kind of like you, you, you think that people in the pews have got these scorecards And they're going to mark you out of 10 as to whether your prayer was faithful. Or what about a prayer meeting where you go into your little groups and there's that awkward silence again so you feel obliged to pray. My question is, did, did John T really pray? Who was he praying to? Why did he pray? When you stand up and open prayer time, why are you praying? Who are you praying to? See, tonight we're looking at these three things. We're looking at giving and praying and fasting. And the Sermon on the Mount is is all about how knowing Jesus will radically change your life. So if you know Jesus Christ, you're called to be the salt of the earth, to prevent the the decay in our world. You're called to be the light of the world, to promote goodness in our world. And you're called to be just radically different. Uh, Relationships marked by truth and grace and love. But you know, the bar is so high, isn't it? Chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's pretty high. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now here's the tension in your Christian life. The greater the demand for holiness, the greater the opportunity for hypocrisy. The greater the demand for holiness, the the, the more opportunity for hypocrisy. The more that we're called to be different, the more that you can put on an act. The more you're called to obey God, the easier it is just to perform. And you know that. If you're a Christian tonight, you will know the times in your Christian life where you just put on a performance. You drive to church. You close your car door, and suddenly you just play this part in the conversations that you have, in the prayers that you pray, in the things that you do. And that's why chapter six begins with those those, those key words: "Be careful." Sure, you're called to be perfect, but be careful not to do your acts of righteousness, your religious works, your good deeds. Your relationships marked by truth and grace and love. Don't do those things before men to be seen by them. See, what Jesus is saying is that it is perfectly possible to care for the sick and look after the needy and for it ought to be an act of show. And it's perfectly possible, you know, to give incredibly generously to the homeless and the persecuted, but it ought to be an act And it's perfectly possible to pray the most eloquent prayers and to lead the most beautiful worship and to preach the most powerful sermon and for it all to be an act and a performance. And Jesus says in verse 1, if you do that, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. You might get an applause, you might get a well done, you might get a thank you, But in terms of the reward from your Father in heaven, there's diddly squat. I've been grappling with how to preach this sermon tonight. I was thinking about just preaching on on giving and praying and fasting. But that's not the main point of this passage because Jesus kind of assumes that that if you're a Christian, that you will be giving and you will be praying and you will be fasting. He doesn't say in verse 2, If you give to the needy, he says when you give. He doesn't say in verse 5, if you pray, he says when you pray. He doesn't say in verse 16, if you fast, he says when you fast. He just takes it for granted. If you're my disciple, you will give, you will pray, you will fast. That's not the issue. The issue is, who are you doing it for? That's our big question tonight. Who is your audience? Who are you trying to please? When you pray, who are you praying to, when you give, who are you giving for, when you fast, why are you fasting? So here's the first audience. We give and we fast and we pray to be seen by men. To do it in front of other people. We just want the praise of men. There are lots of repeated words in this passage. Uh, One of those words is the word hypocrite. It comes in verse 2. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. It's down in verse 5 as well, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray, standing in the synagogues. It's down in verse 16 as well, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. Jesus is saying it's possible for you to be a hypocrite. The word hypocrite is literally a play actor. That's what the word means, you're acting in a play. So Tonight I'm going to play the part of Hamlet. And so I, I put on the clothes, I put on my costume, I put on my voice, and I, I know how to stand, I know how to deliver, and you're my audience, and you're my, this is the stage, and at the end of my performance, I, I bow to you, and you do what? You go, great performance. And Jesus is saying, that it is possible to treat the church as your stage. Tonight, I'm going to play the part of the prayer leader. And so I put on my face, and I walked to the lectern, and I, let's pray. And you, know, you just play the part. You know what to say. You know, the, you know the jargon words to use. You know the things that you're supposed to pray for. And it's just a performance. And you're a hypocrite because you're doing it because you want other people to say, well done. Pat on the back. Friends, if that is your audience, other people, the crowd, the congregation, then you will have received your reward in full. What is the reward? It's just that. The praise of men. Because according to verse 5, these hypocrites, they love to pray. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by men. It's the same as the people giving in verse 2. They love to give to be honored by men. It's the same in verse 16. They love to fast to show men they are fasting. You know, with hypocrisy, there are really two two types of hypocrisy. One is called the conscious hypocrisy, where you you know you're doing it. You know that your heart is far away from God, and you know you're only praying and only giving and only fasting, because you want people to say, well done. But even more scary, I reckon, is the unconscious hypocrisy. Where it's almost like you've been playing the part for so long. You've been playing as a Christian for so long that you start to believe yourself. Other people can spot it, but you can't. It was Spurgeon who said, to stand with a penny in one hand and a trumpet in the other is a posture of hypocrisy. Uh, So my first question tonight is, when you give, when you fast, when you pray, are you an actor or are you authentic? The second audience, I guess is even more scary. Uh, We play for the praise of men, but we also do all these things for ourselves. Uh, deep down, it's not just that we want other people to say well done. Deep down, we want to feel good. That quiet self congratulation. Isn't that why people act? It's not just that they want people to applaud them at the end, it's because they feel good about themselves. I was awesome tonight. I cut it up tonight. I really got into my part tonight. Uh, look what Jesus says down in verse 3. He says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now Jesus is not saying something crazy like you know, when you give, go online and turn on a computer, go onto your internet banking and just sit there and close your eyes and tap in some numbers and press return and no one knows how much you've given. Not what he's saying. What he's saying is when you give, make sure that you don't Hold on to it, you know. You've given, but don't remember that you've given it. So, so when you give to the needy, when you see that person who, who who's bought clothes with the money that you gave, don't look at them and say, "I bought that," and start to feel good about yourself. When you look at the piano that you've donated to, don't think, "I I I paid for that," and you start to feel good about yourself. When you give, you're supposed to just give. And then let go of it. Don't pat yourself on the back. Don't think you're somebody. Don't gloat. Don't preen. Don't bathe in self glory. Same with your praying. It's down in verse uh, 7. When you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. A, a pagan prayer. Thinks that God will hear them if they just repeat the same words endlessly or if they just chant a bit louder. And we can do that in our praying, can't we? You know, we've got 10 minutes to fill. And so we start to just babble. Oh God, um, help me to be patient. Lord, give me patience. I find Tracy so hard, so please give me patience, and as for Caleb, I need your patience, Lord you're patient, and we just go on and on and on and on. Why do you do that? I'll tell you why you do it, because at the end of that ten minutes you can pat yourself on the back and say, oh, I've had a ten minute prayer time today. And the real reason it makes us feel good, and it's called pride. That ugly, seductive enemy called pride. Bonhoeffer said these words. He said, I can lay on a very nice show for myself, even in the privacy of my own room. I can lay on a very nice show for myself, even in the privacy of my own room. Please don't mishear me. There's nothing wrong with self-esteem. I don't want to crush you. I don't want you to leave here hating yourself. Uh, But when your motivation is all about making yourself feel good or look good, That's the issue. So you don't play to the crowd and you don't play for yourself. So who is your audience? Why do you give? Why do you pray? Why do you fast? In these 18 verses, there's one word which is repeated more than any other word. It's only come three times in the Sermon on the Mount so far. And it's so easy to miss it because we just read it so quickly and we gloss over it and we take it for granted. Can you spot the word? What is the word that has come more often than any other word? It's the word Father. It's there in verse 1, your Father in heaven. It's there in verse 4, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's there again in verse 6. Go into the room and pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father. It's there again in verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need. Uh, Verse 9, our Father in heaven. It's there again in verse 14, your heavenly Father. Verse 15, your Father. Uh, Verse 18, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. (laughs) It is the most beautiful word. Jesus is saying, look, if you're my disciple, if you if you trusted in me, if you've believed in me, if you've repented and come to the cross, if you sheltered under the cross, that that is much more than just a, a legal transaction. If you come to Jesus, it's much, much more than just saying, oh, I'm forgiven. It's much more than just saying I have eternal life. If you come to Jesus, he's saying you are a, a child of God. You're a son. You're a daughter, and God is your father. And that is the uh, the greatest privilege in the whole world. Yeah, to call God your father is the greatest privilege in the whole world. No Jew would ever call God their father. That would be blasphemy. Oh, they'd, they'd pray sovereign Lord, or they'd pray almighty God, or... They would pray master or ruler, but but not father. And Jesus steps into our world and he says, well, what does Jesus pray? He he calls God his father. Uh, And of course, Jesus has that unique, special relationship. He's the son of God. But this is a staggering thing. Jesus turns to you and to me and says, if you believe me, if you follow me, you too can call God your father. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says how greatly the love that our Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Romans 8 says, By his spirit we cry, Abba Father. You see, when you come to Jesus, you're born again. You're adopted. You can call God your Father. You know that parable of the prodigal son? who did everything he could possibly do to tell God, to tell his father that he hated him and when he came back what did what did the father do he ran arms wide open welcome home and i don't know whether you've ever you've ever done that i don't know whether you're sitting here tonight and you've never come home it's just an act it's just religion But if you've come to Jesus and said, I believe in you, I trust in you, then he calls you his son, he calls you his daughter, and it's the most precious, the most beautiful relationship you can ever, ever experience. And to call God your father, is not a mark of being over-familiar. It's just a privilege of that love relationship you enjoy. To call God your father is not being arrogant, it's not being rash, it's your privilege now, this is what will transform your your prayer life and your giving and your fasting. When you have understood that God wants to relate to you as a father to his child, and when you've grasped that his father's love is, is more extravagant than you can ever, ever imagine, that will change the way that you give and you fast and you pray. Trust me. The deeper your love for God as your father. The more you want to please him and honor him and praise him, all for you, God. Not for me, not for my, the crowd, but for you, God. The more you focus on him as your father, the less self-conscious you become. And the less concerned you are for the pat on the back and the well-dones and the thank yous. Uh, they're nice. Of course they're nice. But we don't crave them. We don't need them. See, verse 18 tells us that your father sees what is done in secret, and he will reward you. See, that's the Christian way. It's the way of secrecy. Uh, Not deception, but everything is done under the, the watchful, loving, embracing gaze of a father who knows us and loves us more than we can ever imagine. So why do you give to the needy? Because you just long to please your father. Why do you pray? Because you just long to have a deeper relationship with your father. Why do you fast? Because you want to deepen that love for your father. As a preacher, one of the the biggest temptations is to become this self-centered wanting and, and needing the applause of people. And you have to pray every single week, you know, not to me, O Lord, not to me, but to your name be the glory. And of course it's nice when people say it was a good sermon, it was helpful. But when you start needing that, or expecting that, that's the problem, isn't it? But to go home and on a Sunday night, just to go home and just close the door and say, Father, was I faithful? Did people see Jesus? That's what it's about. Now if you get this right, if, if, if it's all for the glory of your Father, then the rewards suddenly become real. Because there are such things as the earthly rewards. Verse 2 says that these people who do it for praise of men have received their reward in full. Same in verse 5, they've received their reward in full. There are earthly rewards, just that, the pat on the back, the well done, the good on you. But what's the heavenly rewards? Verse 4 says that your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What is that reward? The, the reward could be, you know, that you have your answered prayers and the needy are relieved. It could be that. I think it's much more than that. The reward that God offers you is a, a deeper, more profound, more intimate relationship with him that starts now and will last for eternity. So so when you give and when you pray and when you fast all for his glory, suddenly you have a deeper peace. And you have a deeper intimacy and a a deeper joy and a deeper dependence. And suddenly uh, his face is shining upon you and he refreshes your soul. And so often, my friends, we do not have that deep relationship with our Father in heaven because it's all about us or all about other people but when you give it with your right audience, it just refreshes you. It's like any relationship, isn't it? The more that you do it to please them because you want them to be on it, the deeper that relationship becomes. And when you get that right, it will transform your giving and your praying and your fasting. So how should we give? Well, look at verse 2. Jesus has given away that honors your father. Verse 2, when you give to the needy. Did you spot that? He's not talking about general giving. He's not talking about tithing. He's saying, when you give to the needy. Literally, an almsgiving. Uh, giving as an act of mercy. Because Jesus assumes that if you're a follower of his, if you call yourself a Christian, you will want to give to those in need. When you see the homeless person, when you see the person without food, when you see the person who is destitute, as a Christian, you will give. But there's a wrong way of doing that, isn't there? Verse 2, don't announce it with trumpets. Don't blow your own trumpet. Don't brag about it. Don't boast about it. In the first century, what would happen is that the, the trumpet would blow in the synagogue and... And the people would just drop everything and they would, they would run to the temple to give their giving, to give to the needy. And it's kind of like, don't be the person who's running down the street saying, "Oh, make way, there's a big giver coming, look at me, look at me. Just give, secretly, and no one should know. And my challenge is, you know, you, you might not get a plaque on the wall, and you might not get your name on a list of great givers, You might not get a pew named after you in a church, but you'll get a great reward a depth of intimacy with your father. Just try it. Go home tonight and give generously, give sacrificially to anyone you see in need. Don't tell anybody, don't keep a record of it yourself. Just give and see how your relationship with God just flourishes. I was at a funeral this week. On Tuesday. And it wasn't anything that was said from the pulpit, and it wasn't the the tributes that really got me. Uh, This is a remarkable Christian woman. It was as I chatted to people, as I walked around just chatting, having cups of tea, talking about how they knew Penny. Time and time and time again, people would tell me how, how this lady, this Christian woman, had supported them in some way, had given to them, had cared for them, and no one would know. Nobody, nobody would know. It wasn't shouted from the rooftops. She just quietly and humbly went about being generous. Now, she had a depth of intimacy with her God like I haven't seen in many, many people. What about Fasting. Uh, Verse 16, Jesus says, when you fast, Jesus assumes that you will fast. Uh, Fasting is just when you give up food for a short time. But it's not just food. You can give up. You could fast shopping. You can fast television. You can fast Facebook. You can fast whatever it is. Give up whatever it is that is is distracting you or taking up your time to stop you depending on God. Uh, Why do people fast? Uh, They fast for two reasons. Deep repentance. That's Nehemiah. When he recognized his sin, he fasted. Uh, you fast because you are needing special guidance. So, Moses on Sinai and uh, Queen uh, Esther and Jehoshaphat and Ezra, when there's a special occasion, when it is special prayer, they fasted. But Jesus says, don't do it so you advertise yourself. Verse 16, don't disfigure your faces to show men you're fasting. Don't wander around looking glum with ashes on your head saying, Look at me, look at me, I'm fasting. Jesus says in verse 17, just act normally. When you fast, put all on your head and wash your face. Use deodorant, have a shower, brush your hair. Don't draw attention to yourself. Someone asked me in Connect Group this week Do you fast? And I kind of wanted to say, mind your own business. You know, you should never know. I do, but you'd never know it. And I want to urge you, when you fast, because we should be fasting. It might be food, it might be shopping, it might be Facebook, it might be whatever leisure activity that so consumes you, that for a short time you stop doing that, just so you can be devoted to your God. Seek his face. When you do that, trust me, you'll enjoy a depth of intimacy with your Heavenly Father and a depth of dependency on your Heavenly Father. And that's the reward. What about praying? Please don't ab- absolutize Matthew chapter 6. If we took this literally, we, we would never pray in public, we would never pray at length, and we wouldn't ask God for anything because He already knows. Uh, Jesus is not talking about uh, where you pray. It's who you're praying to. There's a story of a man who was at a church in Boston. And over coffee, he was heard to say, those were the most eloquent and polished prayers ever offered to a Boston audience. Uh, Jesus is not prohibiting public prayer. The book of Acts is full of public prayer. He's saying, make sure that you're doing it for him and to him and not to each other. Do you know the best way to avoid that hypocrisy? Do you know the best way to to make sure that when you pray in public, you're doing it to God and not to other people? I'll let you into a little secret. I'll give you the key. It's called private prayer. The secret place of prayer. So your public prayers should just be a natural overflow of your private prayers. That's what Jesus says in verse 6. Uh, when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Shut the door. Shut out the prying eyes of men or just shut yourself in with God. Just you and God. It's beautiful. That. Just, just you and your Heavenly Father in that deep, intimate time of prayer. So I want to if you're never alone with God, it's not because you're too busy, it's not because you have no time. If you're never alone with God, it's because you've got a problem with your relationship with your father. And that time alone with God will enrich your relationship with your father and then your public prayers become a natural overflow of your private prayers. And then you'll pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I find it incredibly ironic that the Lord's Prayer has become the most babbled and the most endlessly prayed, uh, prayed prayer in all of history. I'd love to spend time I haven't got time to expand the Lord's Prayer. I'd recommend this book. It's called Our Father by a guy called Richard Koken. But please look how that prayer begins. Our Father in Heaven. That's where he dwells. He is the ruler. He has the authority. He has the power. He is the glorious one. And when you pray, just make sure that your prayers are for his glory and not just for your needs. You you start with God's glory, don't you? Uh, Your kingdom come. Sorry, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name, verse 9. I pray that in my life and in the lives of others, your name will be honored. And I pray that your kingdom will come, Lord. I pray that more people will know Jesus and that Jesus would, would return soon, and I pray that your will will be done. I pray, Lord, that, that my life would live, be lived in accordance to your will. that 's how we pray all about God, His name and His honor and His kingdom and His will. But remember that he 's your father. Now what does a father do? A father cares. And a father loves. And a father knows your needs. And that's why you ask him for things. So you say, Father, give me today my daily bread. Do you ever pray that? Father, give me today my daily bread. We don't, do we? Because we're just so (laughs) self-sufficient. Because we've got money in the bank. And we've got food in the fridge. And we've got clothes in the wardrobe. And in Jesus' day... They were dependent each day on God's provision. (laughs) And my challenge is just to recapture that dependency on God's provision. Stop taking it for granted. Uh, We need daily provisions. We need forgiveness, don't we? Every day, because every day we blatantly ignore God. And so we pray every day, forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. That's the wonder of the gospel, isn't it? And Jesus says look a mark that you really have understood forgiveness is that you will forgive other people if you forgive men when it's in against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you don't forgive men their sins your father will not forgive your sins he's not saying that forgiving other people earns you your forgiveness but he is saying if you've really grasped and understood uh, the, the magnitude and the depth that God has forgiven you, and how massive your debt was, and how much He's wiped your debt clean, that will show itself in the way that you forgive other people. Because how can you withhold forgiveness from others when God has so lavishly forgiven you? And then, lastly, you pray for daily protection. Because we're in a battle against the evil one, the battle is real. And so Jesus prays in verse 13, lead us not into temptation. Lead me away from temptation, lead me closer to you, and please protect me from the evil one. See, that's what we pray for. If you're in love with God as your father, you pray for his glory and then for your needs. And when you pray, don't perform, don't pray to the crowd. You don't have to have the jargon. Just be you. Talk to him as a father. He longs to hear you as a child. So there it is. I'll ask you again. Who are you doing your acts of righteousness for? If it's for the other people, if it's for the crowds, let me say you can bluff the crowds. They'll buy it. But your father knows everything. If it's for yourself if it's that ugly thing called pride, get rid of it. It's gangrenous. But if you've come to God as your father who sees everything, who knows everything, who can't be deceived, then pray to him. Give for his glory. Fast for his glory. And I pray that you would enjoy those rich rewards now. Of that depth of intimacy, that depth of peace, because you know him and love him as your father. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven. Father, thank you that you're gracious and you are kind and compassionate. Lord, you see everything, you know everything. You know our needs. You know when we perform and we put on an act and we ask for your forgiveness. Spirit of God, would you please radically change us? Father, we just long to do everything because we're your children. And we want to give you the glory. In Jesus' name.